Welcome to Breakfast in the Liminal Zone with host Victoria Hernandez and Diego Herrera, where sometimes we'll also have a special guest come and join us for our discussions. Please join us as we introduce you to the worlds of the supernatural, occult, places, or people in history, or whatever our interest is for that week. Please come and sit back and have breakfast with us in the liminal zone. Hi. Uh, for this episode, because we're talking about Medusa, we wanted to give a a content warning because we're talking about Medusa and there are um, conversations about essay and uh, violence against women. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Welcome, everybody. Um, yeah, uh, we're, we're back from a little hiatus. We've been we've been doing spooky shit for the month. It's been yeah. busy, and now it's the end of October, and there's definitely going to be more future episodes lined up, but thank you for bearing with us, you know? <laughs> and, yeah, I'm excited to do this episode. Yeah, no, um, we also have uh, Eric Eric in house. Hi, say hi. hi. <laughs> He's he has, here. He has his own mic, so now he won't sound um, terrible like the first episode. <laughs> Episode zero, guys, if you ever wanted to look back. Oh, God, yeah. But we're the Gorgon, Gorgonzola, right? Yeah, so today's episode, we're going to be talking about Medusa. And I've been doing a lot of research on this and a lot of notes talking about who she is because she is very hard to pin down. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, like, from nowadays, from, you know, today's culture, people know her as the Gorgon who had to be killed by Perseus or the face of Versace. Like, Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know that. Yes. They use her as for a logo. And so like, that's like all that there is. And so no one really knows why, like her story or anything. Oh, check that out. Yeah. But a lot of like, a, yeah, it's a very popular brand. <laughs> I, and they only know her for that. No, I don't know. I don't know enough about fashion. The like, I, I want to know more about fashion history, but I'll, I'll, like in recent times, it's literally like they put blood in shoes or like, I don't I don't know what else in fashion they do. <laughs> I buy I buy clothes maybe like once, like every like three months and I don't pay attention to that. <laughs> My clothes is all like secondhand, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Thrift I, stores or oh state places. Like, I, wore, yeah. I wore flannels, like the same five flannels for like, maybe a decade <laughs> hey honest sustainability is key <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and so like basically what i want to uncover here when it comes to medusa is that there's so many different stories that are attributed to her and they all range that they are so diverse from each other so like you can hear from one of the earliest texts that we understand from her is probably like from Homer or from Hesiod. You know, the earliest Greek storytellers that we know of, at least that we know of. It's really hard to find anything mm. else because that's the only stuff that we have uncovered for now. And her stories differ from playwriter stories like Euripides, which comes like thousands of years later, or from Ovid's tale. So I want to make a big point that every story of Medusa always changes. And and her tellings and her placement in these stories evolve as well, just like how our understanding of characters are and our minds and our cultures and societies adapt. Mm-hmm. Her story changes as well. So I have a, yeah. I have a, I have a question. Was, um, was uh, Medusa always a baddie? Yes. 
so. Like, man, she, I see her as a survivor. She's mm-hmm. a survivor. And that is incredibly badass. And especially if you want to, and I'll go toward this towards like the end of the talk, is like this perspective of how we can reclaim her as someone who is a badass who's able to understand her situation and like use it while she can you know mm-hmm. and so yeah this is for you medusa i'm here to <laughs> reclaim your work no when you told me that we were going to be talking about medusa i totally forgot i actually have a, a statue of medusa do you really yeah that's it's her right there. yeah i yeah. i totally forgot the I, fabulous gorgon head yeah oh. she has wings on top of her head that's an interesting take. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the one that the Versace logo uses, too. Really? Look oh, at sick. You. Yeah, I bought, I bought that the at the villa. I just saw it. I was like, I just really want a, a head. Yeah. My- <laughs> a bust. Oh, my God. It is beautiful. He also has one, like, in front of his house, like, right there on, like, his railway and stuff. You see, like, the shield of Medusa on there. It's really cool Yo, looking. Sick. Yeah. I imagine... Eric, is your house the uh, the the kind of house that just has a bunch of statues in the front yard? I don't have a front. I don't have a front. <laughs> I live in the second floor in an apartment, so I don't have much of a yard. So the statues are inside. Hell yeah! He does have a lot of statues inside, <laughs> but a lot of busts. That's for sure. <laughs> I'm actually, like one room apartment with just like a bunch of mannequins. <laughs> mannequins. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and I want to, like, you know, make a point, too, that, like, typically in Greek mythology, many monsters, especially that are male, are born monstrous, you know, Mm. like, you know, typically. However, it is very, also very common to recognize that many women in Greek mythology are transformed into monsters. Mm. So there's something to that. I'm not sure what, but oftentimes when it comes to female monsters, they have often been transformed into something if you've ever dated a woman you'd understand oh, stop. <laughs> no this is this is the age of age old question of um where um oh god what was it is like are the greeks were the greeks misogynistic because they hated women or, or like because they were just like no i'm getting it wrong um oh god you know because like greek culture is like incredibly gay uh totally. yeah but it's uh, androcentric androsection i can't speak <laughs> androcentric yeah they really elevated the male mm. like, as the ultimate in terms of beauty beauty art forms intellectual capacity there is very male centered women were confined to private spaces mm. men men were generally the ones in the public spaces so like what i'm hearing is the hierarchy is man twink woman <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I'm, not, I'm not sure the Greeks made too much distinction between man and twink. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> but they did like the twinks, so that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> they just didn't have a name for him yet. Like gay. They didn't say the word gay. <laughs> but they were like, ooh, I love my Which... fellow men. <laughs> Why would I have straight sex when I could have normal sex? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, going back to it, like, Medusa's genealogy can be traced back to both cases where she was born and yet transformed into a monster as well. It just depends on who you ask type of thing. Mm. And it also says something about the culture of the time, right? Mm -hmm. But what makes it hard for us modern readers, uh, listeners, and people who like to read mythology 
it's really hard to kind of, or historians, kind of, it's kind of hard to trace back and actually uncover more info about the times because everything's been buried for so long. So we just have to use what we have, you know. Mm -hmm. But we could always, you know, translate things a little bit differently now or like reinterpret, uh, that's what I should say, reinterpret things a lot more differently now. So, Well, how, how do you understand what the Greeks were doing with their myths? Or like, was this like DC and Marvel for like the ancient world or is there like something else going on? Like, well, oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were going to go on with that. Well, like, yeah, if you think about it, that's a really good question, you know? How were myths being portrayed as? And more specifically, how did the Greeks portray their myths, you know? Mm -hmm. Especially when it comes to their pantheon of gods, when it comes to their heroes, you know? And so, like, I feel like that really does beg the question, what does that tell us about what the Greeks saw, you know? Can I read a quote? Go for it. This is David Fideller in his book, Restoring the Soul of the World. The Greek philosophers and other educated per people certainly didn't literally believe in a host of human-like gods and goddesses cavorting through the heavens. But nonetheless, humans are an embodiment of nature, and in humanity, nature herself personifies. Both the forces of nature and the human psyche have their distinct personalities, and when we start talking about personalities, we are speaking about representing something in human form by allowing ourselves to personify, symbolize, and mythologize. We open ourselves up to the creative power of the imagination, which is rooted deeply in both human nature and the cosmic pattern. Perhaps even more importantly, the mythic imagination allows us to speak deeply about the world through metaphor in a way that avoids the deadness of literalism and conceptualization. So it's fanfic. Because <laughs> what you just said can apply to, to Super Hulok, So, mm. Oh, do you not? <laughs> Sorry. No, on uh, literally on Tumblr, like, people, it's, it's really interesting because people basically make their own, like, gay mythology of, like, yeah, no, all these... All these uh, characters from Supernatural and Sherlock, they're all they're all gay and they all hang out. They... And Doctor Who. <laughs> Doctor Who, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it really does tell us a lot about our own behaviorals and our understanding about how we interact with the world around us, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I see it like how Jung would see it too, is that like it's true, you know, like they do speak in metaphors. And it's a lot different than speaking literally. It's like po it's like poetry, you know? Like, mm -hmm. poetry, it's not literal. Like, the grass is green. No, you use metaphors to describe it. So you can use the creative forces inside of you to bring life to what you see other than just green grass, you know? Mm -hmm. And mythology is painting a beautiful picture of what the story is trying to say. And with our imagination, we can just see with a more grandiose version of what it is from their view. And yeah, it's almost very, it's very poetic is how I like to see it, if anything. I think Jung also said that um, the Greeks used their mythology to project their internal psychic states externally. So you could sort of see the dramas, like there was a way to project what's happening inside of us, like 
in these stories so that we can then sort of understand them and therefore understand ourselves. And he says, once we lost that, we had to internalize all of these conflicts and, and problems. And so now that's why we have like neuroses and, and all these like psychological issues because we don't have that, that capacity to uh, externalize and project like the internal dramas that we're all sort of grappling with. You know? Definitely. You know, like if you find a mythology of seeing like a god like moving the sun around, you know, and like there's a story about the sun and the moon's placement in the sky. Oftentimes it could be seen differently, but it's not a literal story of how the ancients saw the moon and the sun rise. And, you know, it's more so of like the inner souls traveling and they use the sun and the moon as a projection of how they traveled within themselves. And yes, that's a really good point, you know, because like, it's you have to look beyond that in the world that we live in now everything's very literal we're very scientific we want mm. to see things like black and white you know and so we have to tap into that world because they didn't have the literal definitions of things as we do now back then you know they didn't there was a different science that they used mm -hmm. so they used imagery they used their creative forces they used their imagination to describe these things and oftentimes the world is projecting what is going on inside of us as well so like bringing this to medusa it's like there's so many different stories of what and how medusa came to be and what she symbolizes so what does that tell us you know mm -hmm. so i mean yep. yeah hit me hit me with some uh, medusa stories because yeah literally just just assume the only media i've, I've, I've interacted with with medusa is that fucking credit card commercial where <laughs> medusa's being hit out at a bar I don't know what you're talking about. No, I I watch I watch I'm online way too much, but I don't know. I <laughs> I did I did want to ask because like uh you said earlier like a lot of this stuff we know from like um like playwrights or not playwrights but mm -hmm. I guess just like um people like Homer and uh, Euripides and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm interested in, in in knowing like how much of Medusa that like we have is like from like like specifically like created pieces from like one person and how much of Medusa is like just straight up like. I know folklore is the bad word, I mean, the wrong word, but like, you know, how much is like traditional? Because I've seen, I've seen very, very old images of Medusa. She looks scary. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the Gorgon, you know, mm -hmm. it's the picture of the Gorgon that we put on her, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, oftentimes when we think of Gorgon, we think of like snake hair, but then also in other texts like in Homer's um, Iliad and also in the Odyssey, she is known to have like large tusk-like teeth and like bulging eyes you know and very monstrous face even in um an epic of gilgamesh there was a gorgon-like creature she was female hmm. that had um trunk-like teeth and very horrific monstrous features as well hot exactly right? <laughs> okay, we want a woman. and so like it is and like it's funny because we know her by that only by this monstrous portrayal of her and so, and I don't think there is one original myth. We have a conventional viewing of a certain myth, but there is not just one original because there's so many different kinds, you know? Mm -hmm. But oftentimes we get told the same one over and over again, which I believe is Ovid's, but I'll get to that in a second. There's a weird, okay, I don't know why, because earlier we were talking about Barbarian. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, God. 
<laughs> I okay. I'm. I actually. I took one class on Greek mythology. And I literally know nothing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just seeing a weird connection. If you haven't seen Barbarian, please go see Barbarian. Um, I don't understand how the name fits with the movie, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Um, Basement Mom did nothing wrong, but she like, did not. no, like I like you know that weird thing of like, um, I guess kind of spoilers. Um, like a woman who is vilified but is actually a victim. Uh, yeah. Um, hey, hey that's a really good point yeah, yeah no spoiler alert but no spoilers <laughs> alert but hey that's something to put a yeah. little it's pin a, on it's a movie about family <laughs> yeah oddly enough <laughs> and those who don't know the term barbarian the, where that came came from it comes from ancient greece and the ancient greeks when they came across people who weren't greek they would speak different languages right mm-hmm. and they oftentimes they think they hear the words bar 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 they think they're saying that so they would call them barbarians so essentially it's not necessarily an insult like how we kind of see it nowadays like oh you barbarian it's also that's something kind of crude that we kind of put on it now but mm. back then it was just people who were not greek so yeah bar bar yeah but the greeks thought anybody who wasn't greek was an inferior <laughs> true very true so very complicated <laughs> very much so Jeez. so one of the earliest under um, texts and understandings that we hear about medusa comes from homer that's coming from the iliad and from the odyssey you know mm-hmm. uh, in the iliad that comes the story is about the final year of the siege of troy basically and in book five athena uses the face of a gorgon that is encrusted on her aegis breastplate it's an aegis or a breastplate and she uses that to kind of daunt her enemies like she uses that to provoke her enemies saying like Mm -hmm. i have this on my shield don't come near me that is also used in book 11 by king agamemnon where he also uses the same shield of a gorgon on top of his shield as a way to ward off his enemies so it shows that like gods and mortals use this as a as a defense mechanism and a little backstory too the name medusa actually translates to protector protector and to ward off evil so kind of interesting to see how that faces you know what i mean like so what does that mean from there but i'll plant that in right now kind of kind of like a kind of like bazuzu where like you know bazuzu looks really scary but it's actually like used to like protect kids exactly. yeah. hi we're back i for um i forgot to change up batteries on the fucking recorder forgive us guys <laughs> Um, but what were we talking about? We got yeah. So to continue with that, so a little pause for what we were at before. So yeah, so I was just talking about really quick about the Iliad to move on to the Odyssey really quick. And so the Gorgon, not Medusa, but the Gorgon is introduced at the very end of when Odysseus goes into the underworld, right? Which is, I believe, in Book Eleven as well. He has a catabasis going down under, and. As he is about to leave the underworld, Persephone pretty much like plays with him saying like, leave in time or else I'm going to have the Gorgon head follow you basically. Mm. And he freaks out. And we know that Odysseus is a very brave man because like his crazy stories and everything. But for some reason, a floating Gorgon head is what really ticks him off and like really leaves the underworld really fast. What are, what's a Gorgon? So basically like, that's funny that you it's asked that question. Cheese. Yeah. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> but yeah so that's a really good question what makes a gorgon a gorgon 
from what we have here, Homer's version, it doesn't give us an actual depiction of it. He really just says, a gorgon is a hideous creature with tusks, bulging eyes, and it is on the shield of Athena's aegis. And also here in the, um, in the Odyssey, she is like a creature that dwells in the underworld. Like she's living, but she does like Persephone's bidding. Like she's there working with Persephone. So there is no details saying to describing what makes her the creepy Gorgon. He it's very very minimal work that he puts do you into think, it. Do you think the Greek audience just kind of like already knew? I think so yeah. because like again, this is what we just know of now. This is just the oldest um, stories that we have, but there has been countless stories back then, and a lot of them just haven't not did not survive it. You know. So who knows if this was common knowledge to the people at the time, mm -hmm. you know? So thank you for asking that question because I need to make that like very clear that there was not that much depiction of what we have already. I just kind of assume most of our audience um, has read Percy Jackson. So, you know, they got the background. They, you know, you know they don't need with context. With Thurman? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, she's a babe, right? Yeah. <laughs> she's not the horrible, bulgy-eyed one. <laughs> also, um, audience, uh, don't get mad at me, but I'm, there are chocolates in front of me, and I might get one or two while Victoria's talking about Gorgia. <laughs> if you hear Just, the munching. <laughs> it's the worst ASMR. <laughs> no, there's Reese's in here, and I really like Reese's. So the next story that I want to go into is with Hesiod's story of, you know, when he introduces Medusa. And so he is known for the Theogony, which is made around 700 BC. And the Theogony is basically a genealogy of the pantheon of the Greek gods. Mm -hmm. So this is very interesting and important because this is actually one of the longest lasting texts that we have that gives an actual pantheon of the Greek gods. So it's like an encyclopedia basically of the Greek gods. Oh. And so um, it's not the oldest, it's not the first mythology, but it's the oldest source that we have, just making it clear. And so also to give a little reference, Hesiod and Homer were around the same time, basically. And so, yeah, they were around the same time. So if you want to like kind of build their story together, you can kind of do that. But in his section, he has the shield of Heracles, which provides an account of Medusa's fate, uh, which is her beheading, and mm. her offspring, meaning her kids, and the Gorgon sisters that she has. Who are her kids? That will come into it. But believe Ooh. it or not, you will not believe it. Pegasus. God. The winged horse. Yeah. Hercules, like, right-hand steed. That's oh my a God. Medusa's Medusa's child. a horse girl. She is. <laughs> and also a wild boar called Creusador, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And so, again, there's so much more to her. She's a mother as yeah. well. And so, yes, yeah, so really quick by how Hesiod puts it, Medusa is born from two sea gods, Phorcys, um, who is the son of Gaia, and Ceto, and that's his sister. Mm. Basically, she has, from them, they have the three Gorgons, which is Medusa, Stheno, and Euryale. And he makes it clear that Medusa is the only one that is mortal. Doesn't say why, but her two other sisters are immortal, and they're ageless, but she does not. And he also says that Medusa suffers a, more, a woeful fate. But does that become that? Is it because she's mortal? 
Who knows? But that's all I can tell us. The gods, the god. Ooh. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> the gods just know. Hey, we could fuck up this one. We... Yeah, it's Jeez. so strange. <laughs> so yeah, and so basically, he says later on that she laid with Poseidon, and going into it, laid is really like literally tra- um, translated into having sex with. So mm. this time, she laid with Poseidon in a soft meadow with spring flowers. Oh, that's why she gives birth to Pegasus. Because I don't know if all the other gods, it's like they look normal, but for some reason, Poseidon, his kids are fucked up. Like. Yeah, he's the sea, sea god, basically the sea god mm. and stuff. And then out of nowhere, like really instantly after that following line, after that says that she laid with Poseidon, Perseus comes and kills her. That Literally, if you look in the translation, he comes and kills her. And from her decapitated bloody head sprang two winged creatures, the Chrysior and Pegasus. And that's all oh, we yeah. know from Hesiod. What's the Chrysior? It's a flying boar. Oh, <laughs> so it's a giant pig <laughs> flying around. It's kind of scary, but <laughs> it's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so it gives a little bit of a count to her backstory, but it doesn't really give us her um, details about who she is and how she looks like. And that again, it doesn't tell us how she became monstrous. He mm-hmm. just says that she lay, um, she laid with Poseidon, and then she gets killed by. Perseus. So it fails that one rule. Um, I forget the rule of like you're supposed to uh, like it. Like a movie passes if you have two female characters talk about anything else other than a man. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> also, um, Shakira got uh, robbed by boars one time in Spain. Did she? Yeah. Damn. Yeah, she's in prison right now. But like, Shakira's in prison. I actually don't know because she she um she uh tried evading taxes and I don't know if she's in prison or not. But um, I like to I like to imagine we would have known that if it weren't for the boars. Damn it! Yeah, that flying oh, wow. boar, Medusa. <laughs> it all oh, connects. Man. It all connects. It. <laughs> Pay your taxes. <laughs> Pay your taxes, guys. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> Be robbed by the boars. <laughs> Be robbed by the boars of flying pigs. <laughs> yeah, and so the next story is this the this is the one where everyone has more familiarity with, and this is comes with more um, Ovid, and this is from his Metamorphoses. This comes around eight A.D., and so this is the within the name itself. This is literally a giant book about different transfer transformations of gods and mortals and so he gives a really good account of it so basically who is ovid he is a roman poet and he came like over a hundred years after the medusa's myth has been established okay so he's kind of entering again he's roman he's not greek so he's roman making Mm -hmm. a new story out of these greek myths already and so medusa's death was used as a power to was it yeah i'm sorry medusa's death was used as a source of power to heighten the story of perseus's story mm-hmm. so of course all it's so sad to say but she's been objectified and so that she, and killed so that she can help a man with his story she's a macguffin <laughs> she's literally literally just a thing to to further the plot exactly damn exactly so he, like a little backstory with Perseus, he was sent by a king to fetch her head and the gods were helping him out. The gods that were helping him were Hermes and Athena. They were helping him kill Adusa, Medusa. 
Perseus used his uh, shield that had like reflective powers, like a mirror basically. And he had winged shoes, a winged helmet. I'm sorry, a helmet that turned him invisible. And he had a curved sword. And one, he used the shield to reflect so that he can see Medusa sleeping and kill her while she was asleep instead of looking at her because then she would, he would have turned into stone, mm-hmm. right? And so after that, after he decapita- decapitated her, he had to flee because her sisters were coming after him. So she lived in a cave with her two sisters. So, again, it adds more questions like were her sisters turned into stone like when they saw her or was it just men who were turned into stone after seeing her well i mean they're immortal too i mean they're right. both immortal so and so yeah. since they lived in a cave maybe they didn't like it gave more room for them not to glare at each other to see each other or something you know it just brings a lot of questions yeah. and stuff but yeah and so the thing is what's so crazy is that like in Ovid's um, storytelling, it's very visceral. He makes it really clear, like, how disgusting this was. And, like, he's very... He uses a lot of um, words to describe, like, how monstrous this was and how, like, gory this was, too. But then after Perseus flees and he has her head, he needs to use her head, right? Like I was saying, to carry on with his travels. He makes sure that the head is, like, perfectly preserved. Like, he makes a bed out of leaves to lay her head there. And he makes sure the knapsack is, like, super safe. And, and like, it's interesting. <laughs> I don't know. And so during his travels, he, someone asked him, why was Medusa the only one with snakes in her hair, basically? Like, they were asking him, like, why Medusa? And so he gives a story about Medusa. So we go a little bit further. But Perseus says that someone... Well, pretty much he says she was a beautiful priestess of Minerva. Minerva is the Roman version of Athena. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that. So a little backstory. Athena was a virgin goddess. And so basically any priestesses that followed her, they all had to remain this. They had to have this vow of celibacy, no marriage or anything. Virgin is used as a different term as it is now. It doesn't mean someone who doesn't have sex. It means someone who's vowed to not be married and then also not have sex but it's a different implication than what we have nowadays so and her hair medusa's hair was her most notable attribute she had the most beautiful locks and she was a very beautiful woman so much so that neptune aka poseidon the roman version of poseidon wanted to take her away basically so he did he rapes her he defiles her and Ovid puts it in very clear context that she was ravished. She was raped by mm-hmm. Poseidon. And so, and he didn't in Athena's temple. So that's even, that sucks even more, you yeah. know? So out of rage, Athena curses a Medusa, not Poseidon, and gives her snakes for hair. That was her punishment. Damn. I know. And so... Wait, what was she wearing? Eric! <laughs> you can turn off his mic. <laughs> and so, basically, turned her hair into snakes. From then on, Minerva carries Medusa's head on her shield. So that's where this story comes into play, where since then, Minerva keeps her head on her shield and uses it as a force of protection and a way to ward off evildoers, basically. Mm. So... 
she was sent to exile after that. Poor Medusa, you know, after she got turned into a monster, she got sent to exile and had she was given the power to turn people into stone. And so her name comes back into light when Perseus was sent to kill her. As he decapitates her, Pegasus and his brother, which is the boar, who's the, spring from her neck. Who's the, who are the parents of Perseus? Um, it is two gods. Um, it's not a. I'm gonna have to look back into this. It's not Zeus, but it is two gods. Okay. He's a. It's one god and one human. I'm sorry. So yeah. he's like he's like a Hercules type of figure almost, where it's like half god, half human. I could be. I could be extremely wrong. Uh, I'm just gonna. I think it's Poseidon, but I've, I've only seen Clash of the Titans from 2013. Mm. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so what's interesting is that after she died, she was able to have these kids, which is Pegasus and the boar, Curiosus. Mm -hmm. And so, like, Athena put her in this position where after she got you know raped by poseidon i should have said trigger warning before this i'm sorry guys but yeah i'll put it in the show notes okay cool. yeah. thank you and so basically after she got killed that's when she was able to have kids and stuff so it's a very interesting side story to that so it's really sad because like the romans didn't really see minerva aka athena as a level-headed person and oftentimes too in greek mythology Athena always favored men in her stories and mm. stuff. Like she's a pick me. Yeah, she's like an <laughs> Uncle Tom <laughs> for <laughs> males, I guess, and stuff. Yeah, I'm not like other girls, okay? Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Perseus was the son of Zeus and the mortal Danae. Ah, ah so it was Zeus. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. So she could have poisoned, Pos like she could have punished Poseidon. Minerva could have, but. She is, because she's at least powerful as he is, but instead she takes her revenge on Medusa, which is really sad. Damn. And so, yeah, going back, like, it's seeing that one of her devotees got defiled in her own temple. She took her rage out on the wrong person. So it's just really sad to see that. And so in this book that I got a lot of my references from, there's actually two books that I'll mention. It's called Pandora's Jar from Natalie Haynes and the other book I used was Medusa Reader by Majori Garber and Nancy Vickers but going back to um, Pandora's Jar basically Haynes brings up an interesting point for modern readers um, an interesting example of the hair transformation can be seen when French women who were forced to have their head shaved after World War II because they were perceived to be in cahoots with the Nazis so basically why were their heads shaven? Because it was a punishment for being considered beautiful by the enemy. So being mm. having their head shaven or a woman's head shaven has been something that's been found in many times, even in biblical times too. It's a way of like, what's the feminine word for it? It's not emasculating because emasculating means like you're taking the manhood away from a man, but you're taking away like what makes a woman a woman basically. And, and, and femme. I'm not going to try. <laughs> yeah, but you can, I hope you guys can follow along with it. It's like you're taking away what made her uniquely her, basically. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, it's always a hair. That's always a very common trope. So going a little bit forward now, you know, thousands of years later, 
he's a very controversial figure, but I feel like his points are somewhat interesting, but notable to pick and fun to choose to pick and chooses. Sigmund Freud. So <laughs> hey, our our favorite our favorite uh, For, Austrian crack addict. <laughs> our favorite man to hate. Yeah. <laughs> he actually writes an essay on Medusa's on Medusa, basically. And a lot of people don't realize that it's called Medusa's Head and it was published in nineteen twenty two. And so, of course, if you guys want to know, it is very sexual, and it goes into with that. Mm -hmm. And he used the mythology of Medusa to explain modern understandings of the psyche and individual behavior. And not just the Medusa's mythology, but he did that with mythology in general, which is one thing I actually do find that kind of interesting on his part, um, because as a person who loves mythology, he uses mythology as a way to understand the human psyche. Jung kind of like does the same thing too. But like Freud just has a very weird like points of view on this he's stuff. He's got he's he's got issues. Yeah. I, no, yeah. Every every time I go on online if I'm on like there I saw this one TikTok. I hate it a lot, but it's this 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 girl, uh, this girl this woman she's like, "You know, if I wasn't dating my boyfriend, I can like totally see like mothering him and like taking care of him." Oh, and and I, I scream to the void, "Fried!" I <laughs> said it again. <laughs> I can fix him or something <laughs> like that. Oh, when guys say that, like, oh, yeah, I want a girl who reminds me of my mom or That's something, horrific. you know, who will wipe my butt and clean for me and cook out for me and all these things. Oh, good God. So, basically, there's a lot of things that he correlates with when it comes to sexuality and Medusa's mythology. The biggest takeaway is that the decapitation of her head is the sign of castration, Okay. Yeah, so I'll go into it. Medusa's a natural penis. She's <laughs> there. <at it. laughs> he goes into it. And so I'll read a little excerpt from this. The terror of Medusa is thus a terror of castration that is linked to the sight of something. It occurs when a boy who has hitherto been unwilling to believe the threat of castration and he catches the sight of the female genitals, probably those of an adult, or his mother, <laughs> surrounded by hair, and essentially those of his mother. So meaning that a kid is repulsed and scared when they find out that their when their parent has their female parent has genitalia, and if it has a bush around it, it's even more scary. He saw his mother pubes. <laughs> It's like, and why so, are there snakes there? <laughs> the snakes in her hair is seen as compensation for the fear of losing the penis. It's so strange how he words that, okay? And so, like, the snakes, like, represent, like, pubescent hair almost, but also penis at the same time. The no. stiffness of her turning, it, turning people into stone is, of course, um, linked with erections. Because she makes people rock hard. Or yes. I hate... And the virgin priestess in her, for her being, okay, and this is, like, interesting, for her being a devotee to a virgin priest, uh, a virgin god, is a symbol of horror, so he says, because she is seen as a woman who is unapproachable and repels sexual desires. So, of course, a woman who is monstrous just is because she doesn't want to have sex. People, she is a terrible horror because she is unapproachable, is that what we see? Like, come on, so, dude. So, 
Mm-hmm. Nowadays we have we have nun porn, but back then they had Medusa porn. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and he goes more. Her yeah. head, okay, her head is linked with genitalia. Remember, her severed head gave birth. Okay, mm-hmm. so just like how a penis would, or you know, a vagina would, gives birth, decapitating your head castration there's a lot of links to it yeah there's a serial killer who says the same thing (laughs) (laughs) so snakes are snakes as hair uh, equates to phallic symbols turning men into stone equates to erection at the site of genitalia so he's really deep diving Mm -hmm. into here and he goes on to say that men used her solely to affirm their masculinity by using her as a secondary figure in their stories. So basically saying that like he says the importance of this story of mytho- this story of Medusa is only to affirm the manliness that men have to go through in life. So we have to decapitate the woman in order for us to be men. Mm-hmm. I say us as if I'm one of them. But like <laughs> It's Wait, so you're not? strange. <laughs> so he has a very interesting take, you know. I don't exactly agree with it, but it is something to say. Like he was really trying to go something here with that. Can we? I really, I really want to uh, try out something right now. So, um, uh, the three of us, let's look around the room and see how many things can be interpreted as a penis. Because um, we have the mics. That's a penis. That um, is. There's water bottles. You have a hand over there. It's like a one of those hands that people use for drawing, you know, as a yeah. little thing. Yeah, the, a, so, a five-headed member. <laughs> the ha- five-headed member, it's exactly. Like, yeah, it's a representation of the echidna, echidna uh-huh. penis because uh, echidna penises, they have four heads on it. I, Do you see anything phallic in here, yeah. Eric? Do you want to self-report, Eric? <laughs> yeah, My count's up to 35 right now. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Freud. He's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. It's it's literally it's literally one of the things where it's just like uh, two straight guys uh, just hanging out, like at, literally, <laughs> quote unquote, straight guys just hanging out doing the gayest shit imaginable. But when they actually put in the words, it's like, well, you didn't have to make it gay, like. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So um. Yeah. No. Women. Women are just metaphors for for dicks. Yeah. Basically, and it's a way to further the men's story, you know. And so, like, men have been—I mean, women have been objectified and used so that we can empower men's ego and their righteousness. Hmm. But like, it doesn't really give story to the women. We just know them from their horrible fates, like how Hesiod says. We just know Medusa by her woeful fate, which is how everyone knows her is by beheaded by Perseus, you know, and it's so sad. And so what's interesting though, is like going into this research was that there is retellings of her story, which is what I really wanted to get into is that like now women are reclaiming her story and mm-hmm. using it as a way to fight the oppressive systems that we've been, we've been embedded in for so long for centuries, basically. Right. And so if you go back into what I was saying a while ago was that how Medusa's name literally trans like translates to to protect and guard, right? So we can use that as a way to see that Medusa's story was used by women to reflect the suffering women endured in patriarchal societies. 
Medusa was pursued and preyed on by men for her beauty. And then she was used for their glory. So she was just a trophy for men to show off, okay? And so modern readers have argued that Athena's actions towards Medusa served the purpose of protecting her and from her from her from any future drama okay Mm -hmm. her being a monster and living in isolation was a way to protect her from men so that is a very interesting take and it's really hard to take oh i wouldn't say hard but it's kind of unlikely that athena would do this because there's been many stories in the past where she was more men's side of things but for just for this story's sake seeing how Athena saw that Medusa was raped by Poseidon, you know, and she turned her into a monster so that she wouldn't be perceived by the male gaze, right? Mm -hmm. And she had the power to turn men into stone so that she can no longer be filled with trauma anymore or be defiled anymore. I see see a weird parallel, at least like, I mean, okay, not like a one-on-one, but like in, in Oh my god, it, it makes a whole lot of sense with like Athena being mm-hmm. like, uh, because Athena like helps men. That's why like people really like Athena. Like there's a big statue of Minerva in Guadalajara and uh, in, Me- in Mexico. Oh really? Yeah. And now I'm thinking about. It, I'm like, oh god, that's why people really like uh, the Virgin of Guadalupe. It's like, mm. oh yeah, because she's just kind of there to help Jesus. And yeah, I don't know. And uh, you look at like other like tragic characters in Mexico, like you know La Llorona, you know, mm. doing stuff kind of like not. I guess everybody else sees it as selfish, but like. <laughs> But it's like if you really look yeah, into it, her. it could be a different story. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Conventionally, it's seen as something that's being selfish. It's conventionally being seen as like she's being monstrous and terrifying, but she's looking for her kids, you know? Yeah. Just like sewer mom or like, like not sewer mom, but like basement bunker mom, mom yeah. basement mom, basically, <laughs> you know? And so like in this way, if you want to look at it, this story can see how this teaches women to look out after each other where rape and violence is a constant threat to us. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And so instead of seeing it as like women who are butting heads and like someone who is jealous of another, we can see it as like women is taking care of the other, you know? And the earliest portrayals of Medusa presented her as a fearful monster. You got with bulging eyes, wide mouth full of teeth and a beard. Later, she was depicted as a feminine with she was de- she was depicted as feminine with womanly attributes. So that kind of goes into me thinking like, is Medusa like an OG femme fatale? Was she like a woman who was beautiful and who had you know she was assertive in her way of life, but yet it was threatening to some men because they desired her, but she didn't want to give into it, so they mm-hmm. feel like they had to destroy her or defile her you know what i mean and so what is a femme fatale so an attractive woman and a seductive woman especially one who is likely to cause distress or disaster to a man who becomes involved with her so there's femme fatale tropes everywhere like you know the archetype you know especially in film noir or Mm -hmm. things you know the badass sexy woman who gets what she wants and she'll do anything that she takes my Um, my husband right before he died took a massive life insurance policy I need you to go investigate to see uh, clear everything up wink Uh. (laughs) (laughs) exactly so 
This archetype is often used to describe a female character who seduces and lures men to threaten and destroy them. In a patriarchal society, women who are seductive, angry, and assertive are monsters. They're the ones who are seen as like, we can't touch them. You know, like they are threats to us, basically. A threat to men's positions and their egos. So she must be seen as a villain in hopes that she must be destroyed. I feel, so, I feel like I should bring up the post from She Rates Dogs. Do you know that Instagram page? No. It's basically, it's uh, people's horrible interactions with men on like Tinder and shit. Really? Or, yeah, or just like anywhere. And uh, like uh, the most classic ones would, would just be like, hey, baby, what are you doing? And then, like, doesn't respond, bitch. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. And then you turn 180 completely. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, it's wild, but goddamn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, I mean, it shows in so many different ways how, like, men can be, like, completely fragile when they're not given what they wanted automatically. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And in this case, it is the woman herself, you know? And so, basically... Nowadays, women are deconstructing the conventional male narrative of Medusa's story, thus reclaiming her story as a symbol to fight for women's rights. If we solely focus on her monstrous image and her death, which is what makes her so famous, then we miss out on the examining how the men in her story raped her from her autonomy, you know? Mm. And by doing so, we completely neglect the patriarchal and misogynistic context that these myths were told from, okay? Mm. Like, how I was saying, like, the Greeks didn't really see women as, like, first-class citizens. Mm. It was men and the twinks, <laughs> but the yeah. men, you know? <laughs> and so, like, these stories about women were coming from a patriarchal, sp- per, um, you know, perspective, a misogynistic I'm, perspective. I'm still surprised Ovid, a Roman, like, wrote about that. Because the Romans weren't particularly, I mean... They... <laughs> yeah, they weren't exactly female-friendly, you know? And, like, the Spartans were super, like, war-animated, you know, mm-hmm. and stuff. And so they didn't really care about these things, you know? But this man kind of gave a voice and a background to her. It wasn't the prettiest, but he did write about her, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so... It's interesting to, instead of reading her story as Athena being petty towards her fellow female, which leads into the stereotype that women are catty and jealous or competitive towards each other in favor of being compared to male authorities, we can use her story as an act of sisterly bond, a camaraderie, uh, you know, between women that is needed in the oppressive patriarchal society. And so, I don't know, it's like food for thought to see, like, how can we see this story a lot more differently? Mm-hmm. And so instead of seeing Medusa as a victim, we can see her as, like, someone who is a protector. Someone who chooses to live the life of isolation so that she can focus on her own autonomy because it was completely taken away from her, mm-hmm. you know? I'm surprised we don't see more interpretations that call out Minerva more. Because I've, like, I've seen it in, like, the culture right now, like, um... <laughs> Like, people people kind of, like, not really liking, like, girl boss feminism and not really liking, like, I guess just white women in general. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> it gets it gets really iffy because, you know, the, like, long history of, like, like look at, like, the suffragette movement. It was like, yeah, no, we're trying to get the, the right to vote for, for white women because can't have all these other races having a, a, you know, political power. And then, like, there's this whole conversation. Like, I, I've, seen, I've seen wild people online who are, like, 
oh you're you're just saying you hate white women because you're 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 trying to be a uh, sexist and it's like yeah only only to white women yeah it's like, yeah, it's like it doesn't even have to be about that you know like racist towards sexism and stuff it's like it's so weird to see like how i don't know these narratives come yeah. like see where they come from you know and, like where they leading to then again i am actively on twitter and it's a hellscape so yeah it is it goes down a rabbit hole that's for sure when it comes to twitter <laughs> that's why you take care of the twitter page yeah <laughs> i just take care of the instagram no i keep getting recommended because i keep because like the page is new and i keep getting recommended like weird really weird freudian shit of like um like it would it will be just like normal normal um like uh pages but i think the last thing i got was just like um uh, it's like you know those like really annoying like uh, like spam sex pages which is like um it's like hey baby uh i don't know I hate it. <laughs> yeah, there's some weird things that get given to us yeah. from these things. It's only going to get worse because Musk is in charge of Twitter now. Did he buy it officially? Yeah, he, he bought it officially. Mm. And um, yeah, no, um, I, I saw online uh, ever since uh, when, when he officially bought it, um, the use of the N-word went up like 500% on, on, on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, Twitter's wow. a hellscape. Don't get on it. Just mm. <laughs> learn from my mistake. Oh, I, my God. <laughs> Say less. You don't have to warn me twice. <laughs> oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah. Goddamn. Yeah. One more thing I do want to mention here is that, like, um, well, this is a really cool example about reclaiming Medusa's story, right? Mm -hmm. And in 2008, an Argentine-Italian artist by the name of Luciano Garbati went even further and reversed the entire narrative. He made a beautiful statue of medusa and it's medusa gazes for she's the soul i'm sorry i just kind of babbled right for a second <laughs> the statue is called medusa with the head of perseus and so his medusa gazes forward with determination like there is completely no sense of sorry in her eyes she is looking forward and she is looking with this very strong gaze she holds a decapitated head of perseus and so i want to show you like i can show you guys if you guys our listeners are still listening you can look it up online <laughs> but it's a very powerful figure okay and it is shown with a black drop it is a full naked portrait of medusa and she has her left leg standing forward with her left um, hand holding a knife or oh, a sword, gaze, like, pointing down. And on the right-hand side, she has her right leg seated back, perfectly cushioned, you know? And she has the head of Perseus holding him by his hair. Yeah. And she's not holding it up like a trophy either. Exactly, like, like the famous one that you see in Italy. Like yeah. Perseus holding it up like that, you know? Yeah, she just has it to her side like a suitcase. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> her hair that's like the snakes doesn't look like horrid disgusting snakes instead they look like beautiful locks like dreadlocks if anything mm -hmm. just curled to one side so i think this is a very powerful image and there is um, a quote that i saw that was given to this and it says men are lucky that we are not asking for revenge instead we are asking for equality mm -hmm. and so 
ooh, I got chills. Because it's true. That's what feminism is about. It's not about upping the men. It's about being viewed as equal. We mm-hmm. just want to be at equal with you guys. Oh, yeah, no, because every every time people ask about, like, um, whenever you talk to crazy people on the internet, like I do, uh, like, the first thing men will always ask is, like, okay, so, like, when, when, they, when you start talking about the equality, it's like, okay, so... Like, they go straight to violence, uh, saying, like, oh, so if we got in a fight, I could punch back. I'm like, so what the fuck is wrong with you? Why, Why do you have to lead to violence? <laughs> exactly. That's, like, the farthest thing that we're trying to get into, you know? It's, yes, I know. And so I kind of want to end this little um, talk about this quote from Nikita Gill and in her book, The Great Goddesses, Life Lessons from Myths and Monsters. And then she says this, and here I quote, Maybe that's why you demonize them. You turn them into monsters because you think monsters are easier to understand than women who say no to you. Damn. <laughs> so thank you guys for listening. But this is, this is my feminist take on clearing up Medusa's story. And so, yeah. Is there anything else? <laughs> I should have said in the beginning of this, uh, fuck Zeus. Fuck yes. Zeus. Yeah. <laughs> he is that OG granddaddy who feels like he get away with anything and he does. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. His He's stories are vicious. He's that weird deal at parties that your family tells Ew. you not to. <laughs> He's gazing at everybody, all like the younger uh. girls and everybody and hits on everybody. It's a uh. very strange character. Yeah. Mm. He's I- definitely not my favorite. Jesus. Oh, God. It's like barbarian. Oh, God. It's just like barbarian. I, Eric, you need to see a barbarian. It's on HBO. It's fucked up. I, nothing I've heard about it so far is uh, leading me to want to see it. No, it's great. It's good. No, this, <laughs> no, the, uh, the second, the second half kind of turns into like a comedy. So, like, but like, let's just say female power. Yeah, no. Honestly. It, yeah, it's about it's a movie about the family you choose and not the family you're born into. <laughs> yeah, honestly, though, it is part of family importance because at that very end, it just like grabs my heart and it's like, yeah. oh. I had a, I had a nightmare about Barbarian uh, recently. I had a dream. I went to Chicago and uh, she was in the uh, hallway of my hotel, and I was like, I started like, I like I ran out and I started like running through Chicago, um, despite not seeing the bean in my dream. Oh, I got I got really spooked. I like I don't, I'm not fucking scared of barbarian because like I'm I'm gay and I'm like yeah no she's slay but <laughs> I haven't had a movie actually scare me. It's a little freaky. <laughs> it's a little yeah. freaky. Yeah. No, but it's a, it's an LGBT movie. You love it, Eric. You. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. I do. Oh God, I want to. Man, I I keep. I want to know, like, how Medusa is in, like, media right now. Because I know there's, like, the only thing that's coming up to me is, like, a, like she's always in cartoons where, like, people always, like, use her gaze. Like, she's always, like, like a final boss or something and, mm-hmm, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, literally, I, I know, <laughs> the only things coming to mind are, like, those cartoons and that fucking credit card commercial. <laughs> I need to see the credit card commercial you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, I'll send it, I'll send it to you later. But it's, um... Uh, maybe was it a credit card uh, commercial? But what it was was like, oh yeah, Medusa, how terrible what's going to her. But you can capitalize off of that Medusa oh, and like God. goes to bars and shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like um, getting onto that, seeing how Medusa's being pre- portrayed in media is that going back to Percy Jackson's, how Uma Thurman is Medusa, and she's not monstrous as in like she doesn't have like 
epic proportions in her faces, you know, the bulging eyes, but she's beautiful. She's, in fact, very mm. lovely looking. I've never seen Percy Jackson, so when you said Uma Thurman, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I guess Uma Thurman played, played Medusa. <laughs> and another one is actually, like, Rihanna. She does a cover on GQ magazine where she's oh. portrayed as Medusa, and she is beautiful very sexy and like she has the snakes in her hair and like snake like eyes in her face but again she's not monstrous Mm -hmm. you know but in fact she's beautiful but she has the qualities of what made medusa iconically famous which is the hair basically Mm -hmm. right i know whatchamacallit um well since uma thurman is medusa does that make tarantino poseidon (laughs) oh Hot take. <laughs> is he Poseidon or is he fucking uh, Perseus? I don't know. Because <laughs> you know he made he made Uma Thurman like drive on a on a road like like very with like no like there's no stuntman and like she almost got into a car crash and died. So really, yeah, I don't like Tarantino. I don't like I I don't like looking at feet. So I <laughs> no because because Tarantino has a foot fetish. Does he? Have you not noticed? I did not notice. It's not like it shows in his movies, does it? Yes, it does. Have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yes. The feet are fucking, um, what's the actress's name? In, uh, oh God. She was in, uh, Wolf of Wall Street. What's her name? Well, she, she's in a theater and she puts her dirty ass feet up and you see her feet on screen and it's disgusting and the same thing happens with a younger like a uh, teen earlier in the movie and in fucking kill bill there's this whole thing where you uma thurman is looking at her feet and she's like move big toe move and he's oh yeah when she's sick right well like she's in the hospital and stuff and she's trying to regain her strength yeah i yeah um tarantino's a foot fetishist i like <laughs> hey i don't kink shame here yeah. Uh, speaking of Eric, Eric's got his his uh, he he's got his toes out. So me too. We're comfy here. I'm very self conscious about my own toes because I um I uh I like I used to have really bad ingrowns and they had to take the whole nail out. So this whole nail just like looks really weird. I don't know how the conversation went to my toes. But... <laughs> I'm trying to see if I can bring this back in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, like, if any of our listeners have any other portrayals or, like, any other things that you want to mention about Medusa being portrayed in media, whether it's a, is shown negatively or, you know, positively or maybe not, maybe just in a, as a side character or something, I would love to know because mm-hmm. I'm very curious to see, like, how she's being shown other than the symbol of Versace. Was she ever in the Disney Hercules, like, TV show or in the movies? Because I, d- I don't remember. I don't remember her in the Hercules movie. In the show, I can't say that I remember because I yeah. barely saw the show. Yeah, because I blame, I blame Disney specifically for making the, 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 the gods seem, like, like good. Family friendly. Yeah. Like, what? Zeus is a family friendly god or something. Oof. Yeah, no. And they actually got some of the mythology mixed up. The Fates, they mixed up the Grey Eye and the Fates together. The three women that Hercules sees that has, like, the one eye and the Mm -hmm. one tooth and he, like, messes around with them. That is actually, they're called the Fates, but in reality they're called the Grey Eye. And tying this back to Medusa, they are also the sisters of Medusa. They are also the daughters of those two sea gods at the same time. Ah. Yeah. So it's very interesting to kind of like steer away a little bit about this, but 
there's something about the powers of three women hold together. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The three fates, the three gray eye and the fates and the gray are totally different. Just so you know, the three Gorgons, you know? And so like, there's something really interesting that I'm not sure exactly what you see. You see three everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, Like there's always gotta be, um, three graces. Yeah. Yeah. The triple goddess. Yes. You know, or, um, what's oh my woman i love her the the witch goddess of greek mythology um hecate, hecate she has yeah. three faces she's the yeah. the crossroads you know and so there's something about that you know it's very interesting mm-hmm. but going back to the hercules thing is that they mixed it up the gray eye are the ones that hold the the eye and the tooth together but the fates are the ones that tell the story and of the human life. And they're the ones that have the scissors that sniff that ends one's life or not. The gray mm-hmm. eye doesn't have that power. It's the fates. But Hercules kind of meshes those three, yeah. six together. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, they got that a little wrong. Yeah. But that's I, just me being a nerd. I did hear from uh, from the what I remember from, it's either from an art class I took or from that mythology class I took. But one thing I heard, like, because looking at, like, really, really early depictions of Medusa, she's very, like, bloated and she, like, her tongue's out. And, yeah. 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 What I heard is that basically that's that's a corpse. That's because, <laughs> mm. like, with corpses, they get really uh, puffy and their tongues stuck out. And you kind of see the same thing. Like, uh, I've heard, like, you know, like in the Aztec calendar in the center, like, it has that, like, like that's death and also with like um in uh new zealand with the haka uh, when people like put their tongue out that's also it's like it's like you know, almost it's, like an intimidation tactic it's like look death <laughs> that and see so is that what uh, athena uses on her shield then when she has the face of medusa on it yeah. you know what i mean it's a way to see like this is what i have don't fuck with me type mm-hmm. of thing you know but that is very true like the whole decomp- decomposition stages like there is a bloatiness and stuff and then like the eyes start like coming out and then the tongue starts coming out mm-hmm. and everything like that is very true i just never thought of it it would be that stage of the decomposition process yeah i know i know plenty of people uh by name who would love to be uh hot corpses <laughs> hot corpses but i know some weird people online but you know i'm i'm sure i'm sure that's a goal for some people <laughs> when you die you just want to look good <laughs> be a hot corpse no i imagine back when i was on hinge i'm not on hinge anymore but there was somebody whose whose um their audio was like uh like their their tongue was cut out their eyes were, were taken out their eyebrows were plucked out and i like sent them a text i was like i don't know what's worse being <laughs> being dead or not looking slay <laughs> they're what like they're like i'd rather look slay <laughs> <laughs> when you're a corpse and you're showing off your dead body <laughs> Aww. i mean if it's gonna be your last time like people are gonna see you then you want to go out with the bang right you yeah. want to look good <laughs> no yeah, yeah who cares about being alive i just want to look good <laughs> even after death even after death i think medusa still looks good even after death yeah. 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 No. Her. Her of those big tusks. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, if you were to find pictures online about Medusa or something, like, you'll find often you'll find pictures of her severed head, and you'll see the snakes growing everywhere, or her eyes all bulging out and everything. And so, like, I don't know. It's just so sad to see like that's the only version of Medusa that we really know of. We mm-hmm. don't really understand her whole picture, and so. Yeah, I don't know. So yeah. seeing if if media nowadays are portraying her as alive and not being dead, but 
if she has the powers of turning people into stone or not and stuff. I want to see how that is being shown. Yeah, no, that that statue is like the only version I've seen where she isn't like a tragic character of actually yes. taking. Yeah, because most of the time, like people people find like this weird empowerment through tragic characters. I mean, mm-hmm. like obviously, yeah, but like, uh, it's it's kind of it's a little little problematic where it's just like yeah no we're we're it, it's like this weird martyr complex you know everybody wants to be martyred it's like we don't we don't need martyrs anymore we need we need change god damn it we- <laughs> you don't need to die for the cause guys hmm. basically yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but um yeah no i need to oh god i'm just gonna go on my phone and look up depictions of, of medusa i'm gonna go on on google images and see if there's anything terrible <laughs> Medusa. Well, I think that uh, if we want to see the Greek myths as sort of speaking to sort of, you know, deeper universal uh, concerns and saying something about, you know, uh, uh, universal themes that she might stand for like there are other interpretations of of like what she's going through so i mean one that comes to mind is uh she was she was um victimized right and then she was punished for being victimized right and so i think it raises an interesting question like if she was if she was victimized and then her perpetrator was punished then we would all just kind of leave it at that because that's what we would like to see is you know uh an action being um, resolved resolved yeah but because she was punished it kind of reminds me of say the job story where mm. god mm. job was uh it's an interesting question because job didn't deserve all the shit that jehovah decided or allowed allowed the devil to uh heap upon him right and so the question is why do good people suffer why do bad things happen to good people and such and so it kind of seems like i wonder if she's raising those questions like uh what happens when you've been hurt wounded victimized and then trampled on right like i mean hardening yourself isolating yourself like can if you look at it symbolically be turning to stone could be what the result is of her response to trauma, mm-hmm. right? So it could be like a warning to us that when we, um, she's a baddie. Look at her. Yeah, yeah. she's got she's yeah, got the she... curls. She's got she's got that beautiful smile. She's <laughs> the tusks and the tongue hanging out. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. Who wouldn't Who wouldn't want to Who wouldn't walk up to her in a bar? <laughs> but I do see your point, though. You know, and for those who don't know about the story of Job, it was one of the earlier like um, stories that was told in the Bible. The earliest. The earliest, right? And so that, um, yeah, what was it? You told you were telling me that it was a conversation. God and the devil are talking. Apparently, they hang out, and the devil is saying how or, or god was bragging about how faithful job was to him and so the devil says well it's because you've given him everything wealth and children and you know prosperity and so god and the devil kind of 
God do, said, no, do nah. a little, a little, a little bet. <laughs> yeah. I bet he won't love you as much if you take all that stuff away from him. Yeah. Bet. Mm, exactly. God said, we'll see. So, uh, poor Job has yeah. to, uh, has to endure these horrifying, horrible tragedies in order to, uh, prove to the world, I guess, that he's actually a good guy but uh, <laughs> it's a crazy story it's a crazy story and at the end when god shows up to justify why you know why good people suffer basically i mean it's a very unsatisfying answer if you ask me but basically god says i'm super powerful like he tells you were, were you around at the beginning of foundations of the earth were you around when i created leviathan were you around when i did this that and the other thing and job's like and job's no. like no look so he's like look, other people got it worse look. <laughs> but i mean how does that help job yeah so god said you weren't there so don't question my power but doesn't doesn't he like literally go back at the end of that and gives job everything back yeah 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 like <laughs> Like, like to soothe losing all his children, he gives him more children. <laughs> <laughs> he gave him hush money. Yeah, right. Kids, yeah. Forget about those other kids. <laughs> here's some new ones. Yeah, here's some new ones. <laughs> Better not talk back, motherfucker, because it's gonna get worse. Yeah. Yes. Wait until next time. Uh, you see what I allowed uh, the devil to do to you. <laughs> Yikes! Oh my god. <laughs> Shit. Anyway, getting back to uh, the story i mean it kind of seems like um she might be another retelling suffering, of that. um unjust uh, like a fate she was born under a bad sign and enduring this sort of thing and so you know asking Her questions about fate, like as the justice said. yeah universal justice and it's just so I don't know. It's kind of strange to kind of see that put into play because we don't often have the answers to these things. But she was just a woman who was, I'm sure you do. Okay, Mr. <laughs> Philosophy teacher. I know. I know. <laughs> she, like, there's, you know, things happen to us and we just don't understand why these things happen. But sometimes we're, if not almost all the times, we're told it's all in the divine power, you know, like just trust mm. the process and stuff, you know. And so, I don't know. But if you think about it, I mean, so she she was raped, and then she was victimized by, you know, Athena for having been raped. And so her response to then is to isolate, or, or the consequence of that is uh, isolation in the extreme, right? Mm-hmm. To the extent that she can't look at anybody without turning them to stone. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I mean, there, there, there does seem to be some sort of moral lesson that can be drawn from that right well basically i mean the world's an unjust place yeah (laughs) but your response to it you do have a say in what you do with the terrible things that that might afflict you right Mm -hmm. so i don't know maybe there's something she's an icon they never took that away from her exactly and she was given a cool role by helping out persephone in the underworld later on Mm -hmm. which i think is pretty badass i would love to help the goddess of death right her superpowers she couldn't get raped anymore exactly i forgot about the underworld i forgot you could just (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i would love to serve persephone underneath there you know eat pomegranates all day exactly i don't think you talked about that I did mention the Persephone in the Odyssey. Earlier, yeah. You know, you know what I'll do? Um, 
after this episode, I'll like post on the Instagram, on the Twitter, just like interesting depictions of Medusa, like in media or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just I love that. Some, yeah. And for our, again, please, our listeners, like, send us more feedback or like understandings of, you know, how Medusa is being portrayed and stuff. Because this is only just a handful of what is out there. You know. Yeah. You also have to be careful, like, you know, history is written by the winners. Exactly. I don't know, because if that were true, I wouldn't be a communist talking about communists. <laughs> it's written exactly. by the victors until they lose interest. <laughs> I mean, like, again, going back to Medusa, we only know her story by Perseus's hands. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? By his tellings. And he was the hero, even though he killed so many more people after he kills Medusa in his story. It's actually really atrocious. And so. Yeah, we're looking at from Perseus's perspective. And never looking at it from the other side. Exactly. Which is kind of nice that you're informing us that there is a there's a person behind the uh, the the fancy headdress. Yeah, because like I don't know, I'm sure like on Twitter and like other forms of media, like if you talk about Medusa and ask like why was she killed, oftentimes you're gonna have people say like, well, she was a monster, she deserved to be killed, or she's a villain, she deserved it. But what made her a villain? Right, that's the other thing. After she was hurt so badly, for her to react against it, like then we we blame her for uh, yeah. exactly. That reaction. Well, she turned people into stone. She deserved it. Well, yeah. she got people stoned. Some, yeah. <laughs> is that really an issue though <laughs> there's also there's also like a weird to- uh, utilitarian uh argument of why she needed diets like well there's the fucking there's the fucking cracking we need to get their head <laughs> exactly we like, can't why ask does... her to help we gotta... <laughs> oh i hate that point of view where it's like it restores some things or like it was needed for the betterment of humankind or something but mm-hmm. there's no proof showing that there's no story showing that like her death was actually the best thing to do but you it makes know? us feel better but it makes us feel better or something right. you know yeah. i don't know yeah so um but i think i think i'll probably end the episode there because we're, we're definitely over an hour sounds yeah good. but uh I, yeah online i will i will put on uh just cool uh or just like interesting takes on of medusa uh her media and mm-hmm. uh uh yeah um this is, I guess, this is technically our Halloween episode because this is coming out tomorrow. Yeah, um, happy Halloween! Happy Halloween, everyone! And if you're still listening, thank you. Yeah, sorry, sorry for talking about real life horrors. Like, yeah. All right. Well, bye. Thank you for having breakfast with us in the Liminal Zone. Please review us and follow us on your favorite podcatcher, and tell a friend about us. Follow us on Instagram at Breakfast in the Liminal Zone and Breakfast Zone One on Twitter. Be sure to shoot us a message on both of these platforms, and let's have breakfast next time in the Liminal Zone.